Hello, and welcome to Please Don't Send Me Into Outer Space, the podcast intent on exploring all that science fiction has to offer one movie at a time. You are joining us to listen to a podcast about THX 1138. Hi, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is Joel Torres, the current host of Please Don't Send Me Outer Space. Uh, and uh, with me is a very special guest. Uh, he has made many appearances on the other podcast I do with Spencer Seams. The uh, current version of it is Shoot the Piano Player, and he is a filmmaker himself. We got Mr. Martin Kessler here. How are you doing, Martin? Good. Um, please don't send me into a mind blog. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Mm, yeah, that's you know a very inconvenient time. When you're handling radioactive material, to oh, sure. uh, I mean, it's also very inconvenient when you go have to go through like three layers of bureaucracy to get it turned off. <laughs> yeah, that's. Hmm. There's so much to talk about with this movie. Like I had, I, I know, I, mean, I know. It, it's a dense movie. It's like, how do you even approach a film like THX one one three eight? Yeah, that's it's, man. It like. Telling somebody who's like a Star Wars fan to watch the movie, I feel like I would just set them up to be like, "Why did you make me watch that?" Uh, not, right. not to say that. <laughs> no, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I love this film, but it's also kind of impossible to recommend to anyone. I can only sort of trick people into talking about it on podcasts or this sort of thing. But it's it's such an impenetrable film. I think by design, and that's one of the things I actually really like about it is that it feels so insular it never explains itself like i I think the phrase um, george lucas used to describe what he wanted it to feel like is a documentary from the future and it really feels like that it's like i don't know if you sent somebody to do a cinema verite documentary about the future it would probably look a little like this (laughs) you know there's no exposition there's no like this is how the society came to be this is how it works it just you're watching it unfold as if it's this it's kind of intact thing, thing that you're you're completely submerged in. Like, and I I kind of like science fiction that you just feel thrown into those worlds and you kind of have to make sense of them and it doesn't necessarily try to explain itself to you. You have to kind of work to find those connections in it, which I, I think is very interesting. But it's such a it's so full of ideas. And then like you get to the end and you're almost like a lot of those ideas are they just noise or how do I even feel about <laughs> digging through yeah. this film but it's um, I find it endlessly fascinating but it's it's not a film that like it doesn't even have a cult following you know it's, no. it's too cold and it's too alienating I think for people to kind of get together and watch it like ooh there's a cool like you know George Lucas had a sci-fi movie before Star Wars like it's it's not really that like I think it's funny that after Star Wars turned into a big hit George Lucas put it back in the theaters and it still wouldn't catch on people are like i still don't want to watch this it's too miserable it's too off-putting it's too cold uh and then when i saw it for the first time was i guess when he did the special edition version where he kind of added some digital effects and made a few tweaks um i saw the original version after that but that was kind of my introduction to it so 
I, I don't know if you've just watched the most recent version, which is kind of the easiest one to get hold of now, where it's got like a lizard with Lucky. CGI wings and a <laughs> monkey and some things like this. He kind of adds a lot of like, um, I don't know, kind of extends some of the sets and adds a couple things digitally. It doesn't really change the story or anything like that. It, it just kind of feels like right. he wanted to futz around with the world a little bit when he was restoring it. Practice. He was practicing futzing. And <laughs> I think it was after the, the Star Wars special edition, so that kind of just had turned into his thing at that point, is I'm going to keep revisiting my old work and um, keep updating it, I guess. That was his mindset, but there, yeah. I mean, there are a couple like pivotal changes. Um, like, for instance, the original version opens with a clip of Things to Come, the 1930s movie. Have you seen it? Uh, Criterion put out like a nice version of that. No, but I, I did see the clip at the beginning of the version I watched on YouTube. Okay, because the uh, special edition version has a clip from Buck Rogers, which oh, like, to me that's what I saw. Sorry. Okay, yeah, like it. It's interesting, just like the two different choices to kind of juxtapose the two different versions not to get like too bogged down in this but like for me buck rogers like i get that that was an influence on star wars and that kind of serialized sci-fi fun adventure thing that he was like riffing on with star wars but the things to come clip makes more sense to me because things to come has towards the end of the movie this kind of utopian subterranean society that's very like minimalist modernist and for me, like THX one one three eight, it feels like a direct kind of parody or riff on that idea from mm-hmm. Things to Come, where like, hey, I'm going to show this society, and it's going to be awful. <laughs> like, it's going to be some place yeah. you would never want to live. I mean, th- that's that's part for the course. I feel like when it comes to like serious science fiction, it's never like, uh, my wife is having an affair, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a just a detective, you know, Blade Runner, except without all the. Uh, it turns out things are really bad because of the company who owns everything. It's society just, you know, it made me think of so many movies. Um, But, and I meant to look them up to see which ones had come out beforehand and influenced him, but I did not do that. Instead, I played uh, Genshin Impact for about (laughs) three hours. I mean, that's fair. That's, that's fair. I, I have no. a question for you, though, because I've been trying to figure this out for myself. Would you no. consider this a true dystopia sci-fi? Because for me, like, dystopia kind of means, um, like, a, a fictional society that presents itself as... I mean, I guess you can have a real-life dystopia, but, like, for me, it's this idea that it looks like a utopia on the surface, but then you peel it back and there's, like, something awful, like, oh, no, we have to murder a child every four years to run this society or something. <laughs> and, like, I don't think THX 1138 is really like that. Like, I think, like, you get a sense, especially during that trial scene, that, like, oh, maybe we're working towards a utopia, and that kind of almost makes it worse because it's, like, you kind of get ground up in this machine of endless progress, and where does it all lead to? And it raises all these kinds of other questions that I think are a little bit different than, like, a lot of dystopian sci-fi, it's predicated on a what if like oh what if uh, fascists took control of the country or what if uh, yada da you know like it's it's that kind of idea of like we're going to take this idea and expand it and show that like if it had its way with the world it would be terrible 
And I think like THX 1038 is doing something a little bit different, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want to live in that society. So there's no utopia <laughs> in <laughs> consideration. I want see. There's there's so many questions because we're only living through uh, Robert Duvall's experiences and uh, the woman who played his roommate slash partner Maggie. McCombie. I mean Maggie McCombie. Um Maggie McCombie. Yeah, she's she's really great in this, but like I've hardly ever seen her in anything. I don't think I've seen her in like pretty much anything else. I I don't know how much else she ever did. Uh, oh yeah, she's got like one other credit, <laughs> but yeah. um, I mean she's fantastic in this film. Uh, I mean there are a couple of really great performances. Who I always really think of is uh, Donald Pleasance in this. His character's yep. name is uh, Sen. Five two four one, <laughs> but uh, like his performance is really interesting because he's so awkward in it, and uh, like for me, you kind of get the sense that um, I mean he's not the most likable character in it, but he's he's somebody who just feels like intuitively that uh, like this society doesn't work for me, <laughs> like, and he has yeah. a hard time articulating that. Like I really love the sequence where he's talking to Alm um, the the kind of deity of this world and he's just sort of rambling and you see him like really struggling to say like ah, sometimes if you just change one little thing and like like he doesn't have the words to even describe why the society doesn't work for him or you know it, it's like i mean it, it sort of made me think about this idea that like if the world doesn't make sense and isn't right for you like how would you know if if that's the only thing you've ever experienced if your society is exactly all you've ever known and how do you get to there like um maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie is when donald pleasance is talking to those little kids mm -hmm. and um he has this line that's i always think it's so sad when he's just talking to them and he's like oh yeah things were really different when i was a kid and it just makes you think like how much did this society change in one person's lifetime you know like how how did it get to this? Where is it going? And you feel like you're not so much looking at um, the end conclusion of a specific ideology, but it's like the snapshot of this kind of mindless progress. And I think like, again, going back to the trial scene, you kind of get a sense of some of the values of this society. And there's sort of two kind of competing values. There's this sort of spiritual, like, religious work mm. religion and then you also have this like extreme economic efficiency and you see them kind of in conflict with each other but like in a way that kind of drives the machine of this particular society and like yeah. there are a lot of specific values that i think are really kind of interesting that are touched on like the the idea of the police state the surveillance state the role that technology <laughs> plays in that like there's oh my god there's so much to entangle it's, it's easy to get kind of lost in it. Like, um, I thought it was funny. The original short film that George Lucas made, his student film, it's called Electronic Labyrinth, THX 11384 EB. And it really is a labyrinth. Like, this movie is a mind labyrinth where you feel like there are all these dead ends that you kind of keep trying to explore to some conclusion. And you're like, oh, damn it, I'm stuck in another dead end. Um, so I think, like, that's also something that I find really interesting about it. And one reason why it's kind of difficult to parse and why I keep kind of trying to work through some of these ideas. 
it still feels uh, relevant, though, which is kind of amazing, oh, especially yeah, like, if it's like one of the films that he didn't get that much off the ground. But like just the, just for example, the police officers, you know, constantly being we're here to help you. Don't you know, do yes. not panic. Like, OK, mm-hmm. I'm feeling that vibe. <laughs> I mean, there's that scene where like THX is watching the like holographic TV. And they're just yep. these uh, police robots are beating a guy, and it looks just like the um, uh, Rodney King tape. Yes. Did I get yeah. that right, Rodney King? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Please correct me if I if I botch something, but um, like this film came years before that, and like obviously that was always happening in the United States, but I feel like that specific idea of like oh we're gonna put it with like video and scan lines just makes it feel really like eerily prescient in the way that like somebody could watch that on tv and just have no reaction and yeah i mean the ro- police robots are really kind of fascinating they're like one of the kind of iconic things about this movie but um like a lot of science fiction that deals with robots it's this fear that oh the robots are gonna rise up and oppress us like that's blade runner that's terminator that's that's a whole heap of robot science fiction right but like THX 1138, like that's the robot's job is to oppress people. Yeah. And you know, the like for me it feels really <laughs> kind of um important that the character THX, played by Robert Duvall, his job is manufacturing these robots. They're on kind of an assembly line and he's working he's operating these like robot arms and it's almost like, you know, the people in this society have tried to turn themselves into a robot with their efficiency and their focus on like you know, oh, if somebody's not acting right, they're not getting the right drugs and they need to, like, maximize efficiency. But, you know, it's like he's playing a role in creating their own oppression and, like, stuff like that I just feel is really insightful and interesting and kind of going a step beyond the usual sort of robot, evil robot science fiction. And like you said, the, the way that those robots talk, like, the way they're speaking with the children, like, sure, you can hold the baton just this once and that facade of niceness... Like when they're yes. going to just like electrocute THX with those prods and they're like, we're here to help. And it's like, no, they're yeah. not. It's so eerie, yeah. but it's so on point, I think. I feel like uh, here's here's two thoughts. Uh, one, the, uh, <laughs> the baton with the children scene. I don't know if you ever saw the like commercial of. Uh, it, it was it's definitely like a propaganda commercial because this police officer is walking up to the these black teenagers who are playing basketball in the street and you're like oh oh and it like fades out and then when it fades back in the police officer is like playing basketball with them it's like oh yeah neighborhoods I'm like <laughs> yeah yeah um, somebody record that with the kids and the second thing I want to say yeah. is everything you're saying keeps making me think of Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> There is something very, like, uh, Scientologist about this society. I I think that's a good observation. Like, anti-therapist, you know, they just go into a box and talk to nothing. Well, like, the the prayers are so weird where they're like, you know, one for the masses, the masses for one, consume, produce, and be happy. It's like, wait, what is the underlying message here? It's so kind of garbled and weird. But, like, what you're saying about the, the propaganda, I think, is really interesting. Um. I'm working on this long essay about architecture and science fiction, which is really kind of an excuse to talk about economic ideas. And uh, <laughs> I get into this whole thing where I was comparing images from THX 1138 to like 
1940s Arnold Freiburg artwork of Mounties in Canada and the kind of like authoritarian patronizing image of these like Mounties hanging around yeah. kids. <laughs> um, but then like I, I kind of compared it to a more recent ad. I saw this ad in, I think it was like April of 2020, this recruitment ad for the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And like, I don't know, people in the States might think of it as like Dudley Do-Right and, you know, friendly Mounties, but like really it's it's like Canada's FBI basically. And this commercial oh. was, was showing like, you know, attack helicopters and speedboats and it had this uh, image of a cop like walking towards the camera with the um, hat turned down so you don't see his eyes, you just see like the bottom of the chin and it's very like Robocop, very Judge Dredd, oh, very geez. THX 1138 I thought like looking at this I'm like oh shit. <laughs> it's really, you know, it's really off-putting. And then it was like, uh, I think that was in April. And then May, June, there was this scandal where uh, RCMP were brutalizing this indigenous chief, Alan Adam, and it was caught on video. And it just seemed like so easy to kind of connect those dots of like, hey, join the RCMP, be an asshole. <laughs> and, yeah. and oh, look, that's what the result is. But uh, exactly, I, of course, like there's a long history with the RCMP of uh, yeah. abuse and th things like this, which, uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to get too sidetracked. But like, it's interesting, you know, you're looking at it from more of an American perspective, these police robots. But like, to me, that kind of friendly but really off-putting, <laughs> scary thing about the, the robot police in this Ma made me think of these uh, Canadian bounties quite a bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, like my experience when, when I was in elementary school is uh, we had officers from who were representing the D.A.R.E. program. And I remember the officer to this day, you know, he was super friendly, like he, he liked telling stories and jokes and stuff like that. And like... The, once again, going the baton with the children, it's like kids will learn like, oh, these guys are kind of cool. And then when you grow up, you, you yeah. that's when you start to be disillusioned. Like, oh, I actually, mean, they're um, going to hit me with that sting, sting rod. <laughs> right. Like my, my family's Czech and I just sort of learned growing up partly because of my family that like, oh, you don't trust authority figures like that. You don't trust cops. And I feel like... Mm -hmm. uh, certain people learn that message very early on and then like other people don't and then it comes as a shock to them when like oh wait these people can abuse their authority or their power but that's yeah, a whole it's a privilege yeah. thing it's like I, I didn't have to find about out about how cops could be an asshole until i got pulled over just the right way by the right cop and then so, you know, some people now, never find out you know, yeah. like they live people in a stay bubble, off of but, twitter yeah yeah <laughs> Oh boy, uh, so okay, like the the sterilization of this this whole society thing, like just I'm just thinking of like what his uh, what George Lucas was uh, inspired by. I know, and uh, like yeah. one one artwork he referenced as being like a big influence on this was the novel uh, brave new world which oh yeah I, I think you can see a lot of like in a way it's kind of a reworking of a lot of those ideas um I, it's funny i was talking with um a friend about how like a lot of dystopian fiction kind of keeps referencing 1984 and he was like 
Yep. Really, Brave New World is a lot closer to the kind of dystopia we might be looking at in the near future or kind of where we're at right now. And people just kind of keep sleeping on it as, as this uh, touchstone for our society, which like really it's more relevant to our particular society than 1984, which I thought was kind of an interesting mindset. But yeah. it's funny too, like George Lucas... I feel like in a lot of ways, things that would hinder him when he's making Star Wars prequels and stuff like that later in his career, you see as strengths here, like his extreme emotional restraint. Mm-hmm. You know, like when people are watching um, the Star Wars prequels, you're like, these feel like movies that were made by a guy who's like really emotionally closed off. <laughs> and yes, he's, yeah. I always kind of feel like, yeah, it's it's the guy who made THX 1 and 3 8. And I was thinking, it's kind of funny too that... Um, if you've watched those Star Wars prequels, like the the Darth Vader character, Anakin Skywalker, his big like fatal flaw, the thing that leads him to the dark side, it's not like it's not like he's like some corrupted crusader or idealist who just like falls into fashion. Like, no, he feels too much. Yep. <laughs> oh, he, he has, has sex with a woman. It's it's like all the crimes that he commits that are treated like crimes in this story, it's the same thing that uh, THX does in this movie. Yeah. And, yeah, and the idea that, like, yeah. the Jedi Order will only take in somebody that is young enough that they haven't developed strong feelings in that way, basically. It's like, oh. The, the Jedi are really kind of creepy in those prequels. For, yes. I, I, I don't know, like, how much of that's maybe intentional, and it's supposed to be, like, this kind of picking apart of, um, you know, this failing society, this republic that's in decline, and they're a part of that. But, yeah. you know, people can argue, like, oh, that actually makes it better. But they are creepy they are off-putting and they're like oh no no feelings no sex like oh, it's, yeah like you said maybe it's it's a little like i don't know if it's scientology but it, it's very like cultish so you're like <laughs> oh, no, I, I don't know if i like this no i think scientologists have sex so it doesn't count no. <laughs> yeah they, 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 <laughs> at um, least the leader did <laughs> but like uh yeah yeah, yeah I, I think just something about that this the weird off-putting values of those Star Wars prequels, it's funny to see how in a film like THX they totally work, you know, and I think it's strange to see who I think is like very obviously an art filmmaker kind of fall victim to their own success and like end up getting stuck making populist blockbuster entertainment, you know it's very unusual and like those Star Wars prequels especially how they kind of end in this big like indictment of populism uh, and I don't know, like, I, I feel like really, if you look at THX one one three, you kind of see Lucas's values, his intellectual values kind of all out on display. And then it does sort of explain why, why when he's trying to give people what they want, it, it doesn't necessarily make them happy, you know, like, oh, I know what yeah. audiences will like, they'll like Jar Jar Banks, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, like yeah, people forget more. that's his attempt at trying to like <laughs> you know make popular entertainment but yes i don't think he was ever kids. that that guy so what, what an idea like uh, I, I mean like because when i think of the star wars movies it's like uh, of course at least i'm talking about the original here like yes i can see why he would think this was a kid's movie because he was a kid growing up watching those buck rogers stuff and things like that but like it had such a universal appeal to adults that that's why it was such a super success. And then the, when, I mean, all the problems with the prequel movies, I, I just feel like he was like, I always wanted to make an epic. 
uh, I guess I'll start from there, you know? <laughs> this, like, this THX 1138 is an art movie, so... Oh, yeah. Oh, so it, when he released that, it doesn't matter what the audience really thinks about it, because it's like an expression of the artist, right? I mean, you, this movie flopped when it came out. It, it, it never made money, so... Yeah. Like, I, and... I completely understand why it's not like one of those films where you look back and you're like, I can't believe this flopped. It's like, no, I, I totally get it. it. It's such a weird movie. It's so off putting. It's like, uh, yeah, like you, you have to think like when this came out in the early seventies, it's, um, it's like off the heels of stuff like, you know, easy rider and the new Hollywood, like Lucas is, is a real new Hollywood guy. And they're all making like hit movies about, like oh people who take drugs and have sex and like this movie it's like cold and sterile and it's like everyone has these drugs forced on them and it, it's so like not a hip cool hippie movie at all like even though it's i think crazy. like really the the values underlying <laughs> values are rebellious and anti-conformist and all of that like that's there but it's just this completely like oppressive experience to watch it oh uh, let's go back to that. A a you were talking about Anakin. Once again, uh, Robert Duvall's character ends up rebelling against this society because of some version of love, you know, that his partner... Uh, I don't really understand what she was doing with the drugs in the beginning, well, I guess. They never, they never say it explicitly, but there's, like, chatter about, like, oh, getting a like a permit for pregnancy and stuff like that. And I think like the implication is that she wants to have a child. She's right. trying to get him off the, she's already off the drugs. And she, the reason why she kind of takes THX off his drugs is like, she really wants to have a child, but uh, the, I mean, he wants, it, wants him to stop using the hologram TV for his business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know. You have that scene. That's really kind of, like not just the sex scene where which is creepy because like everyone's watching it it it's like they're on camera and there's just like a whole bunch of people watching them have sex yeah, but afterwards when they're kind of talking about like oh what are we going to do now and you kind of get that sense that like oh we just did something where there's no going back and yeah you know they're talking about like ah maybe we can like live in the superstructure and you're not even sure like what like where are they like are they under the surface of the earth or are they in space or like it's not really clear until the end like what where this place even is but um you know they're kind of talking about running away together but you know ah oh, we can't miss the shift and you know we're gonna get found out so like thx has to get through that one last shift without being on the drugs um which he, he manages yeah yeah which eventually kind of gets him caught even though he does sort of pull it off uh even with the realizing that he's off his meds and putting a mind lock on him at a very delicate moment um but like the way that they deal with her death uh mm. luh like she's killed off screen and it's just so like callous you know they're watching um like when, when he's trying to find her later on in the movie and they just like look it up and there's this like fetus in a bag that's been assigned the new designation uh, right. that like her old name it's it's given her her name because like oh she she was destroyed and like the film doesn't let you or the character of thx have any kind of a release and like it's so emotionally like 
repressed and yeah. really like just that that final shot is the only time it kind of lets you have some emotion and like for me it always comes kind of rushing out you know the ending I, I find is incredibly powerful but it's like so callous <laughs> it's so hard to kind of experience that that kind of coldness and those having those emotions sort of bottled up but um, you know i think it's a really intense experience how it how it treats all that it wasn't like at that point when he he's with the the new guy <laughs> what's this oh uh, don this? don pedro Coley, the the hologram sr srt something or yeah, other, yeah yeah which, Which I'm still kind of fascinated by, like, how do holograms work in this world? <laughs> because he seems yeah. pretty pretty tangible. But I think, like, I don't, the way I explain it to myself is just, you know, maybe he's a little bit like the the Doctor on Star Trek Voyager or something like this. Where, uh, yeah. you know, maybe there's, like, you know, and I love that, like, when he's talking, he's like, I don't know, like, force fields, lasers, holograms. I don't get it. <laughs> like, yeah. He, it's like, I, I like, still don't have any clues. Yeah. <laughs> He's really great. I, I love the scene where um, they first run into him because, like, when they're trapped in that white room and uh, Robert Duvall and Donald Pleasant start looking for a way out and, like, Donald Pleasant's just is following along, like, uh, th there's nothing to really stop them. It, it's just, like, you got to walk until you find a way out, but you don't know how big that white room is, that sort of minimalist prison setup that they have going on. And, like, all mm -hmm. the other prisoners are just kind of, like, chatting away about like empty philosophy like uh, oh you know we have to you have to like rethink the social structures and like you know it's not doing anything to help like Robert Duvall just gets up and he starts walking out after a certain yeah. point you also got Sid Haig in there and like it's such a strange Especially. mixture of uh, of like criminals where it's just people who don't fit into this society either through ideology or just through like I mean Sid Haig's character is this total brute from what you can see Mm -hmm. um, but then like when they run into SRT the hologram and I always figured like I think like there's a some kind of racial commentary in this film I'm not quite sure what it is but it feels like if I'm not mistaken all the um, the only black people that you see in the film are holograms there's like the people you see on TV like on the commercials there's the mm -hmm. woman dancing and then there's uh, SRT so like I think there's some kind of analog there and like the way that Donald Pleasance first reacts when he runs into him where he's like put off by this guy and yeah. he's like oh he's, he's a hologram I figure there's like something going on there although like I haven't quite parsed out exactly what's being said um, yeah I don't hmm. but when he's just be... like oh like no the, the exit's that way and he points them back where they came and they're like no we came from that way he's like well that's where the exit is <laughs> and it's yeah. that feeling of like I don't know, like, there's some kind of, like, non-Euclidean thing going on with this prison where you just have to kind of keep walking and eventually you'll find your way out, but that whole sequence is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's like a putting putting your prison, like, in the middle of a desert. It's like, yeah, yeah you can yeah, escape, yeah. but where are you going to go? There, there are, like, I think real prisons like that now in the States where they're, um, they're supposed to be a lot cheaper to run, I heard, where they, they'll take, like, military tents and just basically put a bunch of guys out in the middle of nowhere uh instead of having this like big prison infrastructure mm. it's it's the best way to uh to make these people able to go back into society by 
Uh, yeah, I can't even make a joke about it. <laughs> okay, I, I thought you were going to make a real point. I was listening, like, <laughs> where is this no, going to no. go? But... I mean, I have a, you know, I, I think prisons are terrible, and that doesn't make any sense just to lock people up and then, like, expect them to be okay afterwards. Like, rehabilitation is a good thing, and, like, nobody's above, uh, rehabilitation in my opinion not not to say that they're people are ever going to fit into society but i think like no, I, I know what right you're saying now, like if you measure prisons by the standard of oh this should be for rehabilitation and not just purely for like some kind of societal punishment for our own satisfaction then like they're complete failures at being oh, uh, yeah. institutes of rehabilitation so i i know what you're saying yeah yep well meant to keep that way we we have people who are bad and we know who they are yeah. Is it me? No. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you hanging out with those Mounties. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and it, when the hologram shows up, that's the only time anyone eats in the, the movie, right? Yeah. I, I Well, I think maybe THX eats that, like, Oh, that's TV right. Meal that the pills are yes. stuck in, but it's it is kind of interesting that like one of the first things you see when you are introduced to the hologram is them like chowing down, like oh I'm starving. I think well, yeah. also Donald Pleasancy brings along those like snacks with him. He's like dropping yeah. them along the way when he's following THX, but there's a little yeah, bit of like eating cur- going he's on. The curly-haired kid from Stranger Things, you know, backpack full of snacks instead of useful stuff, but you know, snacks are good. Uh. So, uh, the cops, I made a note, there was one specific moment, um, where a cop goes in, and for some reason, we don't know the context, he, he just walks in and it, and puts his hand on a guy who's, like, checking out from work, and he's like, I, I don't remember what he says, but it was like a perfect shot of him looking exactly like the T-1000 in Terminator 2. Oh yeah, which, yeah, with the metallic face, it's it's a lot like the T one thousand. Yeah, which is another famous robot cop in movies. So I don't yeah. know if and the, this necessarily would have been like the major reference, but I, I could see that being a connection. Yeah, yeah, and the police helmet because yeah, you know, like yeah. Tr- before he turns and uh, gets out of you do see him when he's like all whatever. all like silver sometimes with the helmet. Yeah, yeah, and like. The comparison of James Cameron to George Lucas, like James Cameron, is a huge idea guy, you know, to, and I almost feel know, like he's George Lucas is is too much of an idea guy. Like I think if, if you like, especially looking at the Star Wars prequels, they're like idea overload. Like the ideas are stepping over each other to the point where you're like that you lack some kind of narrative coherency at points. Yeah. Like I, I think you know you probably could have used somebody to help him throw out like 50% of his ideas and not even like separate the good from the bad. I think just like less ideas might've benefited that film, those films. But, um, yeah, like, I don't, I I think like Lucas is obviously an idea guy. It's, it's sometimes you can kind of point to like, Oh, he's, he's not always like the best with actors or the best with dialogue and stuff like that. But he's, I think overflowing with ideas. Although like people say he's not great with actors, but I always find like he gets a good performance out of these kind of, a certain type of British actor, like if you think about Donald Pleasance in this, or Peter Cushing, or Alec Guinness, I, I think he actually kind of works well with a certain type of actor. Um, 
Actually, I think Alec Guinness kind of hated working with him, so maybe oh, yeah. maybe it's not mutual. But like, I, I think he does kind of get good performances out of uh, certain actors who maybe already kind of know what they're doing, and he kind of lets them do their thing. But um, there's a, there's a clip in the audiobook version of Alec Guinness's like uh, one of his autobiographies. I don't I, I don't know if he has multiple, but uh, he he talks about the experience of. Uh, a child and his mother coming up to him and the child walks up and he says, Oh my gosh, you're Obi-Wan Kenobi. I've watched star Wars 200 times or something like that. And, and Alec Guinness looks at the boy and he says, you know, I want you to do me a favor. And the kid, <laughs> the kid's like, yes, anything, anything. And he said, never watch star Wars again. <laughs> and the kid started crying. <laughs> Poor kid. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, Alec Guinness, like, you didn't care. He's like, I'm above all this stuff. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Donald Pleasance, man. Every time He's I so see him in, in a I... new movie, I'm like, wow, I wish I had known how great he was. Like, I, it, I wouldn't have known within his lifetime. In 95, I was 14. But just, like, I watched the movie Link recently, and he's in that and I was like, oh my god, he's like even great in this crappy movie. <laughs> Get a catch of him in everything. Or um what's that one? Sorry. That's okay. I, I really like him in the John Carpenter movies too. He's in a bunch of great films, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, Oh my my favorite version of Dracula, the John Batham version. Oh yeah, that one's pretty cool. Yeah, he's playing Jack Seward, and he's he's just like a bumbling goofball who's always like snacking on something. And but then you know, famous for Halloween, all the yeah. Things I think like Halloween that, is yeah. probably the the one that a lot of people think of um, maybe first and foremost with him. Yeah, um, and, but I, I like I'm him like... actually a little bit more in Prince of Darkness. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but, oh, <laughs> yeah. I haven't watched it yet. But like, uh, yeah, there's so many things. Like, he's such a varied career. The the fact that Halloween is the one that everybody remembers yeah. almost feels like a well, disservice. I mean, like, he's in. I, I think partly because he's in a lot of supporting roles, uh, and like Halloween, yeah. he's not the main character, but he's like more front and center. But like, you know, he's in Great Escape. He's in like a bunch of mm. bunch of classic movies. Um, yeah. Eagle has landed. Like, yeah, you know. I don't want to yeah, like yeah. scroll down his IMDb. I think he's in. <laughs> uh, is he in the version of 1984 with Peter Cushing? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'd have to double check, but that's possible. But he's in just like you know, ton of stuff. Yeah, he's just one of those character actors, and you're like, oh wow, geez, this is awesome. Like Ernest Borgnine, both of them in Escape from New York. That's it. Yeah. Whenever. Now, whenever I see Ernest Borgnine, I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting, at least for him. <laughs> I, let's see. To go back to THX 1138. It's a weird cast, if you think about it. Like, Robert Duvall, Donald Pleasance, Don Pedro Colley, um, Sid Haig. <laughs> like, what an interesting yep. mix. <laughs> but... Johnny Weissmuller Jr., you know, um, I don't know if he played Buck Rogers or his father played Buck Rogers in the original. I know he played Tarzan, 
but he's uh, he apparently he's one of the uh, RoboCops. <laughs> oh, really? I, I don't think I yeah. knew that. <laughs> yeah, that's I just funny. when I saw his name, I was like, "What? Oh, that's that's an interesting tribute." Except you never get to see his face or anything. See, yeah, I was getting Blade Runner vibes. Just, uh, I, hmm, I was wondering specifically what I was talking about. Just, just the the future car thing. I think, like when you get outside, yeah, people have those kind of cars and soylent green. I was thinking of. Um, <laughs> As a comparison, like Soylent Green is way more of an emotional movie. It's it's kind of it's it's like a film noir, right? Basically, yeah. yeah. And uh, with it, when it comes to this, it's like the, we've got a big dark secret, and Soylent Green, you find out what's going on. Blade Runner, you basically find out what's going on. And THX, I I really love the fact that, like you were saying, it doesn't stop to explain anything to you. I feel like if THX was going to do something like Soylent Green, it'd be like, oh yeah, and Soylent Green's made of people, and moving on, like, it would not yes. bother to, like, dwell on this or explain it or let you be shocked by it. It just sort of yeah. would treat it Soylent Green has fact, been yeah. discontinued <laughs> due <laughs> to human <laughs> contamination. I, so there are, like, little things in this movie I think about all the time that I'm like, wait, what was the significance of that? That, uh, like, little red tchotchke thing that he buys... And, you know the alm is like go out and buy something you'll feel better after he like messed yes. up at work he goes and he buys this red thing he comes home and he like flushes it and that's it <laughs> like wait what was the point <laughs> of that like it made me like start going down this whole um idea thread of like you know do, do those things only exist to be bought and that's it that like this society it's obviously like a consumer society when they're talking about like buy consume but everything's so minimalist it's it's weird that like the way George Lucas would depict like the a version of extreme consumerism is is like oh people don't own anything which i feel like yep. is very true in some ways and you look at the way that certain economic forces are pushing towards in the future and it's it's a little bit frightening when people are talking about like oh yeah this big financial institution is going to buy up all the property in america so everyone's going to have to rent and like you won't be able to own property anymore you're just going to be a serf in the future it's like jesus christ you know stuff like that like i mean like that idea is not necessarily in thx but i feel like the way that thx is structured you can kind of follow those threads and it leads you to a lot of things that exist in real life and it's like i always kind of feel like we're always you know, maybe just an inch and a half away from living like THX one one three eight. Yeah, I, I don't look very good in white though, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I could work with that. Also, I've never shaved my head before. I, I, I'm curious about it, but I'm also, you know, feels being, good. being I... over forty now. I'm afraid that the hair is not going to come back. Or <laughs> <laughs> it's just hair That's grows back, get. or it doesn't. Which, whichever. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean the the shaved heads thing is interesting too because it's um, the way that like you see THX shaving his own head and there's like one or two of the prisoners don't have shaved heads like the the shell dweller that they bring in mm-hmm. but like you get the impression like oh it's not like people are irradiated and they're all bald like this is an aesthetic choice and the way that it kind of makes this feel very 
I don't know, like everyone's very neutral. Like you, you don't have this way to express yourself with hair. I, I think it's like just an interesting yeah. touch and like how it kind of makes all the men and women similar and like the way they talk about uh, mates in this, like the the phrase they use is mate for THX and LUH, but it's like almost more like roommate. It's a very, you know, the implication right. is that it's supposed to be like a very kind of sexless thing. And um, yes. Donald Pleasant's character is trying to <laughs> trying to make THX his mate and kind of cut LUH out of the picture. He's like tampering with the programming and stuff like that. And he's like, well, you know, THX, you rate very highly in uh, cleanliness or whatever, <laughs> trying to get him as yes. his mate. But like, it, it adds this sort of weird dimension of like, I don't, almost like everyone in the this society is kind of uh, gender neutral in a way, and then it like it doesn't really matter who your partner is, and that like the way that sex is sort of frowned upon, and like expressing your sexuality is kind of limited in this society because, like you said, everyone kind of dresses in white and has shaved heads. Um, I don't know. It's a really interesting choice. I mean, it feels like they were going for like we don't want them overstimulated like outside which uh, and uh, you know buying that yeah. red thing just to flush it like the disposability of things we buy just to make us yeah. feel better it's like what am i going to do with this later well just flush it but <laughs> i i feel like the tv he ends up watching is almost a contradiction to that but what that's at least in the safety of his domicile like, it's weird you, how you like that they they're like decrying erotics and this like sex is this big kind of criminal act between THX and law, but the pornography is fine. It's mm -hmm. like, there are a lot of weird little contradictions in this society too, which to me makes it feel more real actually. Like society in, in real life is full of all these weird contradictions. But um, I think to kind of put that in your movie and it's not like there's this one kind of overarching philosophy kind of dictating how everyone lives, but you kind of see little hints of like, oh, there are these different value systems kind of competing is it's very interesting like i always think it, it's weird too the prosecutor in the trial scene is so young like they, they, they look like you know maybe a young teenager who's like talking about the immorality of uh, sex and like oh we you know we have to decry erotics and it just makes me think of like whenever you see on twitter there's like some some like 18 19 year old being like why do movies even have sex scenes? They should cut them out if they're not essential to the plot. And name me one that's essential to the plot. Like, you can't do it. <laughs> like, I just got flashbacks to that watching it this time around. Mm. Yeah, they don't want that kind of excitement when they go to the movies. They only want uh, gun porn or something like that. I <laughs> Maybe. I, I don't know. It's because of the, the seed oils. The seed oils are destroying our minds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just the things that people come up with. I mean, the the uh, anti-sex thing like uh, makes me think of Zardoz, which is way more of a <laughs> like a society yeah. full where they're trying to stimulate like activity within themselves, but they've been living for so long it just doesn't happen anymore. But and this yeah, whole like Om um, kind of feels like this thing that could exist in the world of Zardoz too. Like there's that sort of crossover mm -hmm. with the. Like the artificiality of religion and the way it can kind of influence and control people is is sort of interesting. Like, yeah. like how much like did the people in THX they must know that like 
almost is like pre-recorded tapes and like like they're confessing their souls to this thing that's just like you know option tape to be and it like it's just like a pre-recorded answer that does nothing to like answer these soul searching questions and you know it could have been like uh you know the wizard of oz uh zardoz kind of in that that place but you know this idea of you know, if we don't have a religion, we'll like fabricate one <laughs> just to kind of fulfill that societal world. But you know, the one in THX feels very like tailor-made to the society, and it feels very artificial. And like for me, the scene at the very end when THX finally kind of escapes this society and he climbs that like huge tunnel all the way to the surface, and you get that like rush with the Bach music coming in and seeing the sun he's seeing the sun for the first time mm-hmm. it's um it's like some kind of connection with some authentic spirituality versus everything that you've seen before and it's not like like i don't know i i kind of get the impression that this is the sort of film where it's like yeah religion is stupid but like doesn't mean that the spirituality isn't uh, legitimate or like some kind of mindset like that um it mm-hmm. actually the ending of this makes me think a lot of robert Bresson's. A man escaped. I forget it. Mm-hmm. Did we talk about this? I actually can't no, remember. No, not in this movie. But we've <laughs> no. we've we've dabbled with the with a man escape because that's one of yeah. my favorites. Do Do you find it's very like the way that a man escaped is so emotionally restrained and so tense and like the way that he's he's kind of working with somebody else to escape at the end a little bit like you know THX is working yeah. with SRT and then like finally you know they make that final escape and then you get that big release and the music comes in like when the you know a man escaped at the very end when they're walking into the fog and you get the music it's very similar i find in just like how they're structured these escapes where it's so tense and emotionally repressed and then finally you can kind of let all the emotion out at the very end with the music yeah um i mean this is sort of like a science fiction version of a robert brisson film i think a little bit (laughs) Yeah, I, that's, I mean, yeah, the only, hmm, I gotta think about that. <laughs> Brisson movies always feel, like, so tightly, like, constructed and edited, like, this does, but it also, there there are definitely, like, parts where it's like, wait, wait, did we miss a part? I, I don't see why <laughs> this is happening, kind of thing, and it, but in the the long run, it, it doesn't matter, the feeling like a documentary for the future is jeez i i'm the part where he gets he's being rehabilitated or whatever is happening with and you could just hear people like commenting as they adjust they're the so measurement casual about it too they're talking about him like he's a piece of machinery right like they're yeah. just like it almost sounded to me like i was trying to figure out like did george lucas just record two guys in an editing bay and like use yeah. that like it kind of sounds like it's just it's not really the way that most people talk in this film, but it, it's like this, you know, it actually makes it more awful when you're watching like THX kind of like writhing in pain as they're just, I don't know, they're like pushing buttons in his brain or something like that. Yeah. They're just like, hey, what can we do with the person? And like, what, you know, how can we push the limits of their their senses and their resistance to pain or whatever like that, whatever they're experimenting with. But they're they're talking about like, yeah, no, like 
not not that much turn it back down okay like they're just speaking in this completely casual way where mm-hmm. you know it's very dehumanizing you know you get that yeah. sense that like they I, like again I, I feel like this is sort of a society where people try to turn themselves into robots and it's like it's dehumanizing and it, it you know kind of eats away at the soul and you know of course people are going to treat you like a machine if you live like that and it's it's an awful way to live so yeah, <laughs> that's just my takeaway these from are that. all just cogs you know? yeah yeah no no place to go except for what they've been told they have to do every day and again like to me it feels so much more relevant than like a science fiction dystopia that's a little bit more abstract in oh we're going to take this like idea and explore that idea as a society versus uh, just like the experience of this and you know maybe a film like that might be more kind of intellectually coherent but this feels to me more emotionally coherent and just how like frightening it is and i don't want to be like the the guy who's like oh well you know old man yells at cloud the future's mm-hmm. terrifying but like there are things about the way that you can slide into a horrific future that i, I always kind of try to keep in mind and yep. again it's that, that like scene with donald pleasance where he's just talking to his kids like hey you know things were a lot different when i was a kid yeah. and um you know I, I, like it makes me think myself or you know i mean you must have days where you think about like hey things were were kind of different when i was when i was a little kid right no, they, they've been exactly... I'm so lucky. No. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. That's fine. You know, and, and, and like, a lot of it's for the better, but not all of it. You know, not all of it's for the better. Yeah, I've been like joking with friends that lately where I'm like, oh yeah, you remember the good old days? 2015. <laughs> so sometimes mm-hmm. it's like that, but... Yeah, maybe, maybe like the early... 2000s before well I 911 yeah. kind of started <laughs> yeah I don't know where, where you pinpoint the good old days but yeah. like I, I think no. like the good old days is is a myth it's uh, this like well you know good old days for who but I it's interesting exactly. how George Lucas kind of tapped into this idea of the good old days in this sort of mythological sense with Star Wars which is all about nostalgia and the sort of mythic past that never existed where you have like a very clear-cut morality and like it's the it's interesting how the first star wars movie complements thx 113 where you have this like impenetrable film from the future which is terrifying and it's that like i think it does kind of tap into that like old manuals at cloud feeling when you you talk to old people who are like terrified and frightened and like will believe weird shit on the internet because they don't know what else to believe because that's just what's being right. told to them and it's like you know the the world you realize the world changed in a way that became kind of incomprehensible to them and that's that's terrifying and i, I feel like thx sort of taps into that for you know you don't have to be old to kind of have those anxieties about what the future might be like but you know and then star wars is sort of the antidote to that where it's like that's the hero and that's the villain and he's going to yes. fight the villain and like you know and it's all yep. set a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and it's this um, e- well, well even the music is really interesting to contrast where you have like the John Williams score in Star Wars it's like this is how you should feel about the scene <laughs> and, oh, you yeah. know you know exactly like there's nothing confusing about Star Wars even though you know you have scenes where there's like no English being spoken for like 20 minutes just like 
robots and little creatures and things but then like Mm -hmm. you contrast that with thx which is all just people and like in some ways it's very familiar like what you're watching is not so abstract and not so alien as as what star wars is showing actually but you have that like score by lalo schifrin the great argentinian composer and it's like incredibly alienating and it just tells you that like no something's off about this world there's this is a place where you have no no place in you know this is a society that you can't fit into yeah and even though they're speaking english you know perfectly understandable english they might as well be speaking a foreign language because the context of a lot of the things especially outside of uh, thx you know the higher up people it's like well i know what you're saying but what's going on like <laughs> yeah and, i mean I, I was like science fiction stuff that does this where like you have to kind of figure out what they're talking about and it's it might be english but it feels like another language you know i yeah. mean i had that experience i've probably most recently watching um mad max Fury road where i remember in those opening scenes i'm like what are they talking about like yeah. <laughs> organic mechanic and oh are you a black thumb and like they all understand what each other is saying but to yep. me i'm like oh this is great I, i'm really excited to be tossed into another world because that's how it feels like i I think like when you watch science fiction that's supposed to put you in another world but everyone kind of talks like they're still in this world it doesn't quite put me in that mindset of of this is another reality this is a real future or a real alien planet or whatever you know right yeah i i appreciate a movie that is like i guess obtuse when it comes to describing the plot or sure. the, the c- containing the narrative, but it, there, it's also like an excellent movie because, you know, if I tell somebody like, uh, well, plot wise, like you can't really explain it. That that kind of sounds well, like a bad movie. I mean, plot right? wise, THX is like super simple. Actually, it's like, ah, uh, this guy gets in trouble with the state and then he escapes. Yep, that's it. You know. Oh, he, he gets he, attacked. He by falls in love with a woman, and and, uh, and she she died like that's that's the story like that's really all there is and like when you kind of look at it from that perspective you realize how much of the kind of dialogue about the philosophy and the surveillance culture and all this stuff it, like in a way it's all just noise really and it's it's about those last couple seconds of the film where he's seeing the sun for the first time and it kind of puts the nonsense of the future in perspective uh, maybe I mean that's one way to look at it. There's there's other ways to look at it too. I'm not trying to be definitive here. <laughs> uh, I mean that's the like like we've been saying. There's so many ways to interpret and like so many things you well, can go off of. Like when I, I mean, you were talking about, yeah. um, you talk about Donald Pleasance talking to the children, and my interpretation of him being like this isn't the way it was when I was a kid was him like for the first time realizing. Oh, that's kind of wrong. What happened to me? It's <laughs> yeah. kind of wrong. What's happening to these kids? But I guess I can't really do anything about it. I want to go home. Um, can I say I really like the ambiguity of not seeing what the surface world looks like? Yeah. After he escapes, you know, you have that sun, and like, there's a little. You see the silhouette of a bird fly by, which kind of tells you that, like, you know, he didn't just walk out into Mad Max land, like. You know, you're not really sure what drove this society underground, if it was nuclear war or, you know, changing environment, uh, climate change, or maybe they just did it to themselves because that's that's what societies do sometimes. Like, they, they just will <laughs> do things without uh, an explanation that would be satisfying to any kind of outsider. But, 
like you don't know if there's other people on the surface world you don't know even if he can survive like it's just what's important is that he's free at the very end of the film i think yeah he's he's free of ideology he's free of society and like it's a little bit scary because you don't know like there's no one to look after him or you know yeah. give him his pills or his porn or whatever but you know it he really kind of takes his life into his own hands at the end and it's just this like pure kind of communion with nature embodied by the sun which i think right. like yeah. really if you look at george lucas's filmography like the sun is kind of his his big reoccurring visual motif it's in most of his early short films it's in star wars it's in like as of right now the last thing he's ever directed where like you know the the very end of the last star wars movie with the um, mm-hmm. uh obi-wan kenobi and the little baby luke skywalker looking at the signs that mirrors the first star wars movie the, the twin sons you know it's yeah. this i think it's like a clearly sort of an important motif for him and thx is where i sort of feel that importance the most i think even more than star wars where you have like luke looking off into his destiny because it's just this kind of pure connection after this very sterile world where you can't connect with anything this like very you know caveman like communion with the sun you know where mm-hmm. you know it's nature it's god it's it's whatever you want it to be freedom it's this it's kind of perfect unknown. symbol of it's the unknown yeah it, it's it's a really beautiful symbol i think in this film yeah, it's for Luke and for uh, Mr. THX there. It's this, like, I, I've been living in a tiny world. Like, it was a huge world as far as I knew. And then when I, for Luke, it's like this longing. Like, he knows there's all this stuff out there. And for THX, it's it's just a completely different experience. It, you know, if there was a sequel movie, it'd probably be terrible, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was funny, the uh, the novelization for THX, he does kind of go out to this creek and meet like a couple other people who are dressed like warlocks or something. It, it's it's kind of a weird epilogue that it gives you. But uh, I yeah, I, I like how it <laughs> ends where it does. <laughs> dressed like warlocks. I, 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 forget, I, I got the description written down somewhere because I thought like that's too weird how it ends the the book version um yeah welcome to our river (laughs) (laughs) it's a little bit like the end of like fahrenheit 451 or something where he just finds like Mm. oh there's like a colony living here but i i would i mean i'm i'm fine not knowing what happens to him i i feel like that's that's actually kind of important to the story but right yeah what what happens to him is not important but the you know we got the conclusion was exactly the perfect place to stop. Uh, and it's, I just hope he's not yeah. in like the, uh, a boy and his dog world or something like that. <laughs> I mean, he could be like, that's, that's a possibility also, but I like to like societies. It, this movie is not set at any specific point in the future. It's not like Blade Runner where they stick a date on it. Um, so like sometimes right. I'm watching this and I'm like, this feels like it's a thousand years in the future. And other times I'm watching it. I'm like, how many months till we get to THX, you know? Yeah. Could be, it could be going on right now underground, you know, we don't know. <laughs> get the rest of society down there. I mean, like, that, that would be like the M. Night Shyamalan version of the ending where, like, THX escapes and he, like, walks down the street and there's just, like, people living the way we are right now on a farm and they're like, what happened to you? Where did you come from? 
and it's M. Night Shyamalan in a truck being like, I'll drive you to town. That's <laughs> how you probably end that. But, um, you know, I, I, there, there's a di- bunch of different ways you could kind of interpret that ending. I, I'm feeling a better ending would be to slap on a couple of kaiju at the very end and then call it Cloverfield THX or something. <laughs> like the, the, uh, Cloverfield lane at the end where it's like, just aliens exactly. attack and THX is like, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know about that, but... <laughs> no, it's just... <laughs> Modern society... A, don't remake THX, and B, don't try to fix it. You know, George already futzed around with it, and, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, I, it doesn't really hurt it as far as I could see. I'd have to see the original to know for sure, but it seems I would okay. say it's not like, I mean, the, the famous example people use with Star Wars is the Han Solo killing Greedo, Greedo. the alien. Mm-hmm. Um, they changed it around, so, like, Greedo shoots first to make... Han not the aggressor and like it, it changes the character and it changes the story in its own tiny way and you know you have a little thing like that I, I think like THX none of the changes are like that they're more technical it's more about like I'm going to stick some extra extras in the background and I'm going to show fancy CGI elevators and things like this like I, you can kind of tell looking at it yeah. where the CGI is inserted it's, it's like 2004 era CGI so it's still you know, you can yeah. kind of figure out <laughs> where it is, but you know, there's nothing that I think really changes the story or its meaning, um, which you know, as we've discussed, can be quite dense. So I think, like, yeah, yeah. it's it's completely solid, whichever version. You know, I mean, for me, the, the biggest difference was the just the clip that preceded it. You know, going oh, from. Yeah. You know, changing it to um, Buck Rogers, I think, just, uh, you know, does something a little bit different. But that's I've got I, the H- H.G. Wells, uh, that movie you were talking about, uh, Things to Come, on my watch list. But it's been on there for like three years, so okay. maybe I should watch it. It's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, not like, it's not like the most mind-blowing thing ever. It's just kind of interesting to see the perspective from that time period about the future. You know, it's yeah, and like you can kind I mean, of see the influence it would have on George Lucas, considering the sort of retro futurism and all that. Um, for sure. Also, so like, I mean, George Lucas famously was heavily influenced by Akira Kurosawa and Japanese cinema. I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. He originally wanted to film THX one one three in Japan, and just the budgetary restrictions wouldn't allow for that. He ended up filming mostly around San Francisco using real locations. I think very creatively, like to use available locations the way he did and shoot it as if like, oh, are we on another planet? You know, it, it's very yeah interesting. But um, I, I think like he would probably, what he had in mind is a little bit like what uh, Tarkovsky did with Solaris, where he just shot those mm-hmm. scenes with the car in Japan. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I guess this is the future, but it's also just Japan. I don't know. Yeah. That's, I, I was also thinking of both Solaris and Stalker watching this yeah. movie like the they're just parts that are impenetra- impenetrable there's also parts that like you can tell emotion is behind what's going on but there's this the, the biggest emotion is either fear or confusion like yeah the sterileness of it okay I, I wanted to mention equilibrium also okay yeah no equilibrium is a, is a good example yeah 
Yeah, a movie that I'm okay with, but like I kind of like the concept and that it's all martial arts. I mean, I'm, fine, I'm a but... sucker for martial arts, so I'm fine with uh-huh. it. The puppy oh, scene, Joel, the scene with the puppy. No, yes. It's all about the puppy. That's when he knew he had changed. He had feelings because mm-hmm. he couldn't murder a puppy. Mm-hmm. Bills. Um, bills, yeah. I, I think, like, I don't know if it's necessarily influenced by THX1138, but you can kind of see it pulling from a lot of similar sources. Oh, like yeah. Brave New World, like Fahrenheit 451, things like that. Yeah. For sure. I don't think I have any other notes, personally. Uh, Metropolis reference. Duh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Metropolis, of course. Um, I mean, I feel like we covered uh, quite a lot, actually, talking about it. Yeah, it's, we could talk about it for another hour. Like, there's so yeah. much to it. <laughs> it's like, I feel like I could do a rewatch right away and be like, oh, I didn't even notice. Oh, okay. That's a good sign. So let's let's get into you a little bit here, Martin. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, okay. So, uh, what do you, what do you think about like sci-fi that's coming out right now? Because I I feel like most sci-fi is black and white. Here's the hero. There's a bad guy. We're not going for any like real obscurity. I I can't even think of like a, the last modern sci-fi. I well, I guess Jurassic. I I saw the new Jurassic Park. That's kind of sci-fi, but not the way I'm talking about. Um, you know, I haven't seen that new Jurassic Park. <laughs> you know what? I, I saw the um, what's it called? Jurassic World. I guess yes. the, the first of this new trilogy, and um, I liked it when it was just a functioning theme park and like little right. kids were having rides on dinosaurs i'm like uh, it got boring once the uh, it turned into the the same old jurassic park thing of like oh you know dinosaurs gotta run and chase people and be scary i don't mm-hmm. know um <laughs> like, it's actually kind of fun just to see what a, a functioning dinosaur theme park might have been like uh, i'm trying to think of of what i've seen lately that's been science fiction um I mean, very yeah, recently, like, I, well, I mean, I guess you do have big stuff like Dune coming out, which is sort of like ambitious, uh, popular science fiction film. I mean, for me, it, mm-hmm. it kind of felt like they, I'm like, oh, like they'll, they'll never make a successful Dune. I was the person who was saying, I don't think they're ever going to make the part two, because like, how can you make a version of Dune that would connect with an audience? And it's like, oh, I guess they did it by rounding off all the pointy edges of Dune. They made it yeah. kind of bland and just like stuffed it full of famous people. And it's like, oh, I guess that made it successful. But, you know, I'm, I'm a- much more the kind of person who would want to see like the Yodorowsky Dune. Um, there are like yeah. more recent science fiction films that I do really like. Uh, like one of my favorite science fiction films came out, I guess not super recently, but in the last decade, it's uh, Alexei Gorman's Heart to Be a God, which is another film that kind of... Mm-hmm throws you into this other world without really giving you much context and lets you kind of figure things out and it's um i wrote a big long thing about alexi garman for the pink smoke talking about his whole career and i kind of started with hard to be a god because that was the first film of his i'd seen and then gradually worked through his whole career and kind of went back to it uh knowing you know where he was coming from and what his whole career was but it's it's a science fiction film uh from russia and it's about this medieval 
planet, this planet that's almost like Earth, except maybe a little bit smaller and wetter, that is mm. stuck in this medieval phase. It's like never progressed to a renaissance. And they're not sure if it's like part of just this planet's natural progression that it'll get there eventually, or if like, I mean, the main character is an observer from Earth who kind of becomes involved in the, the politics or the, there's this purge against intellectuals going on and he kind of eventually becomes mm. involved in this, but it's, it's a really interesting film. I, I think like, I love it. It's also the kind of thing where I'm like, I, I don't know if I could recommend this to most people. Yeah. Uh, but um, really one of my favorite science fiction films ever made and something that's full of challenging ideas. But I, I find also very accessible and funny in its own way. And, um, you know, it's just it's hard to recommend like a three hour black and white Russian anything to most people. So, oh, yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, if you do want kind of like a big meaty piece of science fiction to dive into full of interesting ideas that that could be quite dense um hard to be a god i I think would be at the top of my list and that's that's more recent um one other more recent science fiction films i guess like there's like high concept kind of stuff like tenant which didn't really do it for me uh i saw uh, david cronenberg's new film crimes of the future which is yeah i guess technically science fiction but it really feels more like it, it like, feels like it's mm. it's like uh, if, if David Cronenberg wrote like a PhD thesis and then filmed it <laughs> you know it's like an art project more than a, than a science fiction film I find like there's science yeah, it's, fiction it's ideas definitely... in it but I find like he's just not actually interested in contrary to the title I, I find like it's not really that right that title is misleading like, <laughs> sure <laughs> You know, and like to me, it was sort of more about his own career and kind of revisiting his career. And like, there's that whole idea of Viggo Mortensen's characters giving up his uh, extra organs as art. And like, to me, it was almost like a metaphor for David Cronenberg coming up with new films and new ideas where they're like, they're trying to get an organ out of Viggo Mortensen. He's like, ah, I think like maybe this will be the last one. Maybe I'm like washed up and it's like, no, you still have one more in you. And I bet it's a good orchid. <laughs> like I think yeah, that's it was good. almost like David Cronenberg made his films and you can see ideas from like his whole career kind of sprinkled throughout it. So it was um, like, you know, even though it was sort of positioned as a science fiction film, it kind of felt like a, like a victory lap through his own career and kind of reflecting on, on his whole career in a way. So I definitely, I, I think like, you know, yeah, it's technically science fiction, but uh and it's interesting, but I, I don't know if it's quite what what you might talk about on the podcast. <laughs> uh, what else have oh. I seen? Uh, I, I feel like I, I should think about this a little bit more. Have you seen Last and First oh. Men? No. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of my favorites. I'm writing, actually, I'm writing a big, long essay about THX 1138 and Blade Runner 2049 and this manga called Blame. And the the last thing I'm sort of writing about in this long form essay is Last and First Men, which oh. um, it's directed by Johan Johannesson, uh, yes. and it was released after he died. He was he was the composer for like Denis Villeneuve films. He was going to be the composer for Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but I think he he left that to go and do this film Last and First Men, which is based on the nineteen thirties Olaf Stapleton novel. And it's really interesting how he does it, where he just films, like, 
brutalist monuments and he films them in the way that's like it turns them into science fiction it's a little bit like thx 1138 where you know you have george lucas uh shooting that tunnel but he turns it into a, like a, a column where it's robert duvall ascending to the top instead of going forwards like he really was uh you know so he'll film like a monument but upside down in a way where it lo- almost looks like it's floating and it's in black and white and you have tilda swinton reading passages from the book and it's it's really great it it sounds like it should be like a boring kind of art installation thing no, but it, uh, it worked really well for me and like the novel last and first men it, it's just full of so many interesting ideas and like there are some passages in there that i think about all the time and that i think are kind of relevant to thx and relevant to real life where it's talking about like oh the you know if the last men could see the way that the or if the the way that the first men could see that the way the last men lived you know they would find a lot of stuff like really familiar but also just like completely alienating and that's a horrible paraphrasing of that passage but like you know ideas like that i always think about and like how how things can be familiar and also alienating at the same time and just thinking about the future and you know what's universal to the human experience and how the future might push that to its limit you know how how will it uh find you know how will we yeah. find a place for humanity in the future is sort of something that i i think about a lot even though it's it's like you know this very sort of lofty distant thing but it, it does feel very relevant to like right now and how we live and how our decisions impact the future and all these sorts of things which I want to kind of dive into so that that's another kind of recent science fiction film i liked a lot um, yeah that i that sounds like a movie that's right up my alley because it, it sounds unusual but it also sound i mean like that's what i want to say i want to see movies that are not what most people think of like a yeah. you know I mean, it's basically like, it's the film thing. that i wanted arrival to be you know uh, uh I, I think you you might enjoy this um uh, there's like some science fiction stuff that's like very kind of technically minded like the martian was sort of a bigger one and i remember mm-hmm. i watched that with my father and we had to pause the movie because he wanted to work out for himself he's like i don't think there's enough pressure in that module to have a blowout like that <laughs> and, like, <laughs> to work out for himself like whether it was uh realistic or not because it, it's the kind of film that really sort of begs for that kind of response and you know that's yeah. sort of a good dad movie in that way or you know like there, there's um you know which film i almost liked but i i feel like i i just couldn't completely fall in love with was uh, ad astra that was sort of an interesting shoot me into outer space movie but um there's like one segment of the film i really like when he's just kind of bumming around on mars and hanging out with ruth nega and it's like I almost wanted it to turn into an Antonioni movie on Mars, if that makes sense, where it's just like beautiful bored people chilling on another planet and like have it full of ennui. But then it, it got into like, oh, we have to have like a goofy fight on a rocket. And I, I feel like that's the kind of movie where you can tell the the people making it wanted to make a smart film. And then I felt like you could almost hear the voice of a producer being like, you know, this movie cost however many tens of millions of dollars. It's been 20 minutes. Throw in a 
dune buggy moon chase throwing up where's the baboon fight? flying at the camera like make it exciting we can't have a boring movie like um i don't know and i felt like <laughs> like somebody who wanted to make a profound film that kind of just lacked that idea to really get there um i don't know that that was sort of my issue with it alex garland is is like another kind of big name in contemporary science fiction uh movies yes. and uh, I've liked some of his stuff to varying degrees. I feel like I've never quite been like 100% in love with his stuff as much as I should be. Like Annihilation, I'm like, oh, this movie's going to be totally my my jam. And then I watched it, I'm like, oh, it was okay. <laughs> you know, Ooh. like I'm a little bit like that, I, I think, with his stuff. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you know, he wrote Sunshine, right? Uh, I think so, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, Oh, that's that's two thirds of a good movie. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, what else was it's kind of true. recent? I, I'm going back to like I, I, 2013 I am, uh, movies in my head because my my sense of time is just like messed up by the past. Uh, no, don't three, even four worry years, about it. But I, like, uh, have you seen Under the Skin? Yes, I have. I've that is uh, probably my top ten science fiction movies. Okay, have you read the novel? No, no, I know right. it's what, very what, different. Yeah, I, I was like shocked at how different the novel was because, like, for me, the the movie, I'm like, oh, it's dealing with all these ideas about like gender and maybe like transgender concepts and you know experiencing things, like all all these other kind of themes. And then I w- read the book, and I'm like, oh, it's a metaphor for vegetarianism, where like the aliens see people <laughs> like cows or meat and. I'm like, they were just so, like, structurally, they were very similar, actually. And it's like, oh, here's that scene. And that that's actually like it is in the movie. And they weren't, like, different in terms of narrative structure. But it was, like, completely, completely different in just what those movies or what the movie and the book were about. So, <sighs> like, I, I don't know. I, I want to make a comparison <laughs> to, like, The Shining with uh, Kubrick and the actual novel. Like, yeah, yeah, that's that's but, a good comparison. I don't find The Shining itself to be in un, you know, alien. Like the, the the thing that's so successful with Under the Skin is that once again, you you can't understand what's going on. You can you can make lots of guesses, but like even when she's driving around talking to people, it's like, what is going on? <laughs> this is a conversation, but. The soundtrack to that film gave me like a panic attack in the yes. I had to like go out for like a few minutes to like get my heart rate down. Yeah. Like I, I went around the corner uh, in the theater, but like I just found it so I don't know oppressive or like it, it was. I, I think was like the theater scary. I saw it in too played it really loud, so it was yes. just like I I can't hear this for a minute. I gotta be somewhere else. Yeah, I, um, I was walking around the house going do do do. Like and Mika Levi, I you know I like a lot of fun science fiction too. I don't like just only heady stuff. Um, no, it's impossible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, okay. What what do you think of when you think of like classic eighties uh, sci fi? What, what's the good one for you? Classic eighties sci fi. Oh, Robocop. Yeah. of course. Robocop. Yes, excellent. Yeah. Um, let me think. Predator. That's uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm you know I'm a little bit more partial to Predator too, but that I think of as a good eighties science. Because <laughs> you love Jamaicans, <laughs> Jamaican me happy. Um, 
have you seen On the Silver Globe? This is either nope. a 70s film or an 80s film, depending on how you count it, but that's the Andrzej Żuławski film. It's based on, I think it's his grandfather's books, which were a big inspiration on Frank Herbert writing Dune. Ooh. And like, talk about a film that makes you feel like you're on another planet. Like he shot it with weird filters and wide lenses. And it, it's it's just an incredible experience. It's this Polish, it was a big production. He got a little bit in trouble, I guess, with censors and he wasn't able to finish shooting the movie. It was yeah. like 20% left unfilmed in the 70s. And then about a decade later, he had a chance to revisit it. And instead of trying to film the sequences that were never finished, he's like, ah, it won't be the same. He went and he shot like modern day documentary footage of uh, like 1980s Poland and then narrated over top what you were missing out of the movie. And he turns it like almost into this completely other other thing where it's like a documentary about itself or something like that. Um, and like, the final breaking. shot is like him turning the camera on this reflective surface so you see Zhuovsky in the mirror and it like it's such an interesting movie but it's also like it's got aliens doing crucifixions and it, it gets into all these like really intense themes um i don't yeah, know just, i just feel like 90s were, were a good era for science fiction too 80s like there's a ton of stuff i love like the thing and well, a lot of those like, 90s. I, I, oh with the 90s uh um starship troopers that's a good one yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, Strange Days. I haven't seen that one yet. The Catherine Bigelow film that uh, James Cameron wrote. Right. It's, um, it's really cool. It's it's like the kind of science fiction film that doesn't feel like science fiction except for this one particular thing. <laughs> um, it, it's really it's really cool if you ever get a chance to check it out. I feel like even though the film is set in the year 2000 it, it's actually aged pretty well <laughs> like some of these themes i'm like oh that's actually really relevant to right now um that's the good stuff yeah, yeah that's a good one have you seen event horizon i have yeah what, what do you think I, of event I, horizon i love it like me too i, I don't <laughs> i think like it falls apart a little bit in the third act like you can kind of tell like ah, we're not quite sure how to wrap this up but mm-hmm. I don't, that was like one of the first movies I remember being introduced to some of those ideas. Like I love the scene where Sam Neill explains the faster than light travel. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it's one of those things that just kind of like opens your mind when you're a kid. And even though it's, it's like a haunted house movie in space, it's it just, it's interesting how it approached its ideas. And it's like, I think of it almost as a, as a horror version of Solaris, mm-hmm. this invisible entity that's like manifesting people from your past and they're there to kind of haunt you and like solaris yeah. is, is it's not quite a horror story but it's it's like a ghost story basically with uh, science fiction Definitely. so you know and it's event horizon it mixes that with like hellraiser and the shining and don't look now and a couple other things that i think is really oh yeah cool um <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> i love don't look now because just the twist that it <laughs> i don't want to spoil it but like when you get to the end, I, like I feel like, like somebody like flashed a a gust of wind into my face, and I'm like, wait, what? What? Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess the movie's over. <laughs> and uh, uh, but Event Horizon is so good at like building up the just the general feeling of uncomfortableness that that be- yeah. eventually becomes terror. Yeah. I, I feel like and, the atmosphere is so good and it builds up so well in like the first first like hour of the film 
that it's almost yeah. like ah like how do we dissipate that <laughs> how do we wrap it up and yeah. I, like a lot of those like 80s 90s science fiction films were really formative for me like total recall dark city stuff like that they were you know i had to watch them all the time <sighs> that's good that is excellent i think cool. uh I think we can wrap it up at this point now that I know everything about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me on. I, I had a lot of fun uh, yes. talking about this terrifying, terrifying, <laughs> impenetrable movie. So, so uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you picked it, and thank you very much for introducing. Like I, it's it, once again one of those movies that's just been on my watch list. Like I know I have to watch this eventually, and then just get getting to i'm like oh my gosh thank you <laughs> why didn't i do this before yeah so uh you're definitely invited back just in case that's not obvious you know, okay then, i'll, I'll what? I, I might try to invite myself on to talk about maybe ikari xb1 this uh czech science fiction film i mentioned to you before ah uh, uh, yeah there's like i know a couple kind of deep cut science fiction movies that might be fun to talk about so Stop it, I'm excited already. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank you. Uh, Would you like to plug anything, projects you're working on or any Um, of the stuff? Well, I've got, um, I do have this big essay in the works for thepinksmoke.com, and you can find a lot of my writing over there. Um, The best place to find me is on Twitter, at MovieKessler, where um, I usually update my, my latest projects and things, and tweet about movies and stuff so feel free to check yeah. it out over there you should follow movie kessler on twitter for sure because uh, martin's always posting very very interesting stuff like uh, that's a lie <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> uh, only when i talk about myself i post all kinds of interesting I mean, stuff no again like talking about like usually. modern science fiction i'm like today there's a new episode of strange new worlds guess what i'm going to tweet about for the rest oh, of the yeah. day so. no i don't you don't understand that's what that's my that's my bag so okay (laughs) i'm I'm glad somebody appreciates it absolutely